Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 337. Today's episode is all about decoding the mind-food connection. Where your mind left your body, what was the instant that it happened, right? We are deeply connected to all the parts of our life. And so it is like almost like a ribbon that has been weaved into our soul. And so here, it could have been your coworker who totally triggered you. But the reality is that came from your youth. And so it doesn't actually necessarily matter so much. It's just how you're going to respond. You're going to master this, right? You're going to say, I accept that this is how I feel. And I can't change anybody who made me feel this way. But I can now choose to respond in a way that is healthier for my body. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Mind love is a habit. And the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Have you ever felt trapped by your own thoughts about food and eating? Like you're stuck in a cycle and you can't get out? Just describing it this way sends me back. My struggle with bulimia was dark. It was one of the hardest periods of my life. Some days I wouldn't even leave my house because I was caught in this back-to-back cycle of binging and purging, ending with a swollen throat and a hoarse voice. Maybe your struggle isn't as extreme as mine, although maybe it is because it is more common than we'd like to believe. But I think a lot of us, especially women, can relate to this pattern. Eyeing food that we know we shouldn't, trying to resist, then obsessing over it until we cave. One turns to too many and suddenly the box is empty. Then the aftermath comes. Guilt, self-blame, or worse, reaching for more food because, well, we've done the damage, why not go all in? And the cycle continues. But it doesn't have to. My relationship with food has been a whole evolution. At one point, I remember thinking how liberating it would be to get to a place where food was just fuel, not pleasure. Well, now I've even moved past that. Food can definitely be pleasurable. But the real wholesome kind of pleasure, not that addictive pleasure. I used to dream of appreciating food the way what I thought a French woman does. Rather than with that frantic energy like a party girl in the Hollywood Hills at 3 a.m. chasing the last line of coke. (laughs) Specific? Well, this topic in general is a little tricky for me because I have different views than a lot of the experts. So I'm going to be real about that right now. You'll hear me discuss this in the interview. And I'm diving into it because I value the shades of gray. I think different things work for different people. 
I'll lay out the range of thoughts here so you can find your own fit and decide what works for you. But the part I'm talking about is that there is a big push against labeling any food as bad. And I agree that no one should feel shame around what they eat. But for me, learning how my body reacts to certain foods was a game changer. Realizing that a lot of processed foods are engineered to be addictive shifted the blame away from my so-called lack of willpower to actually just understanding the science behind it. So understanding that certain foods are more filling while other foods made me feel like a bottomless pit helped me stop blaming myself and my own body. And so I guess I can get on board with the no food is bad outlook, but I actually don't classify all things as food at all. Some are lab creations to me, and some people feel like that is a form of shaming. I get that my approach might not jive with everyone's latest theories, but it's what worked for me personally and others that I know. So I want to emphasize that what works for me doesn't work for everyone. I'm not trying to shame anyone about their food. So if you're not on board the some foods aren't food train like I am, I'm also going to give space to someone else that has a different view of what has worked for the many, many people she's worked with, whereas I have worked with none around food. So it boils down to this, though. Always check in with yourself. There are countless perspectives out there. I have mentioned my Rolodex of mindsets before, but I'm actually going to change that metaphor because I just realized that no one under the age of like 38 knows what a Rolodex is. So from here on out, it's going to be my Tinder of mindsets because I am hip and cool. So swipe through, test how a mindset feels. If it fits, swipe right and keep it. If not, swipe left. The key is knowing yourself well enough to determine what resonates. Ask yourself if it's beneficial or if it drags you down and shape your mindset in a way that's uniquely yours. So today we're changing our relationship with food in whatever way that works for us. Our guest is Kim Shapira. She's a celebrity dietitian, nutritional therapist, and author with a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology from Tulane University and a master's degree in human metabolism and clinical nutrition from Boston University. She spent over 25 years helping people lose weight and keep it off with a giant emphasis on keeping it off. So three key things we will learn are how to recognize and manage self-denial with food, how to decode your body's food language, and how to find serenity in indulgence. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now let's welcome Kim Shapira to the show. I'm so happy to be here. 
So what inspired you to focus on people's relationships with food? Mm. It's a really good question. I don't think it's been asked like that before. As humans, we all develop emotional triggers that we work on mastering throughout our life. And mine was health. And when some a mentor that I had in high school told me that food can make somebody sick or healthy, I jumped right in. I didn't have deep love for food or love to cook. I'm not like a foodie in the sense that I want to talk about food all day, but I want to talk about people's health all day. And initially when I started my practice, I my first client, I helped her lose 30 pounds by putting her on a diet. And pretty much towards the end of that goal, she said, okay, now I'm going to gain the weight back. And I said, why, why would you do that? And of course, that's deeply triggering for me because of course we just fixed her cholesterol and blood pressure and triglycerides. And like, now you're <laughs> on the journey, go have a good life. And she said, well, my husband wants to have sex with me all the time. And I was molested as a child. And I thought, okay, I actually don't know what I'm doing here. I can tell people what to eat and how to clean up their blood tests and change their life but I can't help people change and have sustainable results. And so I did a deep dive in all the things that I was missing, you know, neuroscience, spiritual psychology, quantum physics, and started recognizing that, oh my gosh, people eat the same way that I shop. And as I started healing myself, I started using those methods and helping people. And so that's what inspired me is that I feel like I have the answers to help people have a sustainably healthy lifestyle. I might need to talk to you about your plan for shopping after this, but I want to <laughs> start same with... plan, so there you go. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> well, I want to start with that, the story that your client told you. I had a pretty severe eating disorder. I dealt with bulimia for about 10 years. And what I found later on when I was on my healing journey was how much our relationships with food are tied to especially sexual assault, but it starts with other things too. How does our relationship with food begin and what are the things that can derail it? Yeah. So loaded, so loaded. Again, we're back to these little humans, you know, that we started out being and our influences are our parents and their parents and their parents and the communities that we live in and the restaurants that are available, the foods and the types of food and the price of food. I mean, there's there's so many threads that I'm seeing in my mind as you're asking me that question. And then it comes down to where it lands exactly on you at the exact time. And so, for instance, I was a sick kid, obviously, I have a health trigger. And I had just come out of the hospital. I was 12. It was 1986. And my mom's best friend saw me and she said, oh my gosh, you've gained weight. Now I heard her say, Kim, you look healthy. And depending on how it lands for somebody, that could have been a very pivotal moment for to change anyone's course on their life. Right. And so it really is a deeply loaded question. And then again, like, 
our parents had so many limitations. I'm 50. My mom didn't read Reader's Digest. I mean, my grandmother did, but we didn't have, we didn't talk about nutrient dense food, macronutrients, the, you know, the vitamins that are in kale. We didn't talk about these things at all. So deeply loaded and we're all a work in progress. All of my 90s babies friends are like, <laughs> wait, so Pop-Tarts aren't a fruit? <laughs> like, I feel like we had the worst health revolution, like this specific age group. It was all about processed foods. I had no idea what was healthy. What I thought was healthy were fat-free cookies. And I was like, oh, yeah. perfect. This means I can eat 12 of them because there's no fat. I was only I know, looking fat. I love fat. those snack wells. <laughs> I know. They were soft on the top, crunchy on the bottom, a little bit <laughs> oh of chemical aftertaste. It was so that's when I was in grad school and that's why I went to grad school. I mean, you talk about like people saying food is healthy or unhealthy, snack wells. I needed to know why people were afraid of fat. <laughs> it makes sense. When I look back at my just history with food, it was so tumultuous. Clearly, I had an eating disorder for a very long time. But in college, there would be days where there would be something fun happening and I would choose to stay home because I was in the middle of a binge purge cycle. That would be like all of the money I had in my bank account. The only, I would be taking my roommate's food. I feel horrible about that now. I remember I worked at a tanning salon and people would come in. They had like mystic tan packages, unlimited. And somebody would come in and pay cash for a mystic tan. And I would take the cash and use it at the fast food restaurant across the street and just log it in under somebody else's account. And so it's funny when I really reflect back, this is like drug addictive behavior around yeah. food. And when I was in high school, I was sexually assaulted. And soon after that, I gained a lot of weight. And I thought that it was because I went and got the depo shot and it messed with my hormones. But I also see clearly that's when my binge eating really took off. I remember specifically being at a sleepover and there was like a bowl of M&Ms and I was eating them and somebody said something like, oh, I've had too many. And I remember actually reflecting in my mind, like, what does that even mean? Since I'm already eating a lot, I might as well eat all of them. Mm -hmm. It was like, I couldn't stop that. And I was like, I already feel too full. So might as well just have this feeling only tonight instead of now and then later when this yeah. settles. Yeah. And so reading about the connection between those things, I'd read stuff like, well, it's your way of almost gaining weight to create some sort of safeguard around your body or to like insulate your body, protect yourself. And when I was in it, that didn't make sense to me. When I got out of it, I started to really see clearly the patterns. And so I'm curious, when you've worked with people, how do you identify those things that have really affected people? And does knowing them help them to move through it? Or is it just something like, like, you know, if you need to look, you can look, but you don't have to. Yeah. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. 
A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How do you identify those things that have really affected people? And does knowing them help them to move through it? Or is it just something like, like you know, if you need to look, you can look, but you don't have to? Yeah, I'm really sorry for what you went through. And I do see your eating disorder as a superpower. And so I think because I see it as a defense mechanism, a coping mechanism, I start with that. And so I work a lot with helping people find their mind. And I talk about this a lot. So like do this with me now. We'll just do this practice. So if anyone's listening, they also have this practice. So repeat after me. Where is my body? Where is my body? It's right here. It's right here. Where is my mind? Where is my mind? 
Okay. So now you actually go find your mind. Where is yours? Mm, That's a hard one. Okay. So (laughs) since you can't answer it, we're going to repeat it. Where is my body? Where is my body? It's right here. It's right here. Where is my mind? Where is my mind? Now go find yours. It's right here. Okay. So that only took you two times. Sometimes when people are anxious, it takes them 10, sometimes three. Sometimes they have to do that 10 times a day. But we need to know where our mind is so we can move forward in anything. So how badly do you have to pee right now? I went right before this, so I actually don't for the first time. Yeah, and it took you less than a split second for you to scan your body and figure it out. And so hunger is like having to pee. We would all go to the doctor if we stopped having to pee. Hunger is a way that our body communicates that we need fuel. It's a good thing, right? It's not a scary thing. It's just a very normal thing that tells us our body is functioning. And we want to be hungry, just like we want to pee. You know, just if I pee right now, it's not, that's not it for the day. I'm going to do it a few more times. But interestingly enough, I'm not stressed about it. I'm not worried where the toilets are. I know that somehow I'll find a toilet. It could get uncomfortable, but I'll be okay. And with food, we have this just universal fear that it's the enemy or that it's, there isn't enough. And so whenever our body detects stress, we kind of, our mind goes somewhere else and it's our job to practice bringing our mind back to this moment. And I do believe that mindfulness is knowing where your mind is, bringing it back without judgment. And so back to your question, we don't have to know why it jumped. We just know that it did. And so if you and I were having this conversation right now, and all of a sudden your alarm goes off in your house, you're probably going to say, you know what, Kim, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. I got to turn that panel off. And then before you come back, you're going to scan your house and make sure it's safe to continue our conversation. It's going to become a priority. So when we have thoughts about food, it's actually an alarm. And we need to turn the panel off and say, mind, we're safe, but only if we are, right? So we have to find our mind. Then we have to tell our mind we're safe. Our mind produces 60,000 thoughts a day in response to something you see, smell, feel, hear, or touch. That's not you producing those thoughts. You're taking credit for them. That's like saying, Melissa, how many times did you ask your heart to beat? What about your lungs to breathe? No, our body is self-regulating, self-healing. Its job is to help us survive in the most pleasurable way. So if we're having a thought about food, it's always an alarm. And it could mean that we're hungry. And it could mean that we're really stressed. It could mean that it's more fun than the way that my body feels right now. Either way, we have to bring our mind to this moment. And if it's anything other than hunger, we have to be able to scan our body and say, okay, my chest is tight. Okay, I feel uncomfortable in my skin. And then this is an opportunity for us to say, what would I tell my best friend to do? Eat? Would I tell my best friend to eat when they're stressed? That's what I do. Would I tell my best friend to eat because it's more fun than not? No, we would say the food is right there. You can have it when you're hungry. Look up from the food. Look around. See who's in the room with you. Call a friend, right? We need to properly 
cope with the moment we're in. We're not going to like all the moments and we can't predict the stress, right? And so we just need to be more responsive to the stress. And then food becomes fuel. You should absolutely love the food you're eating. You should also keep in mind you eat 21 times a week. You're going to eat hundreds of meals a year. You can't remember any of them. And you need to be here in this moment. And you need to practice gratitude. Because of the length of time that I had an eating disorder, and even before my eating disorder of bulimia officially started, I had disordered eating. I had started binge eating way before that. Bulimia was actually kind of my way of fitting into this box that I thought was appropriate while continuing being able to binge eat. But I remember it was like, it was three to four years after I had had my last binge, I was on this healing path. Well, I think I had like one randomly in between that, but my life was wildly different. And I remember feeling so free. That's what kept me from doing that is like this feeling of freedom because the amount of times I would find myself in this, like I'd be in the middle of a binge purge and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I, I like can't get out of this. And I could see my moments just cycling over and over again. And it felt like mm. a mental disorder because it was. Yeah. But I remember it was even like three to four years afterwards. And I had this realization that I still didn't fully understand what hunger felt like, like what it really meant to be hungry. I was eating on this cadence that felt good to me so I wouldn't binge and I wouldn't starve. And the only time I really felt hunger was when I was too hungry because I would notice it like I would feel lightheaded and irritable, like I was hangry. Animalistic. <laughs> yeah. We have less control. Yes. Again, and not a Melissa thing. This is a human thing. Yes. And so what are the is the process to even really knowing that we're hungry if we're still kind of in the midst of these negative patterns? Yeah. So compassion is not an easy thing to come by, it turns out, right? To say we're sorry to ourselves for what we're experiencing and what we're going through. And being mindful again in this moment, I feel really bad about the way that I feel and my body also needs food. We live inside of our bodies, right? We like poured our souls into these bodies and then we made an agreement that we would take care of it and it would take care of us. And we were going to live in this body and it gives us messages all day long. And so really leaning into that relationship with, I love my body, not maybe the way that it looks, but I love that it can smell and think and function and I can help it in so many ways. Turning to that kind of relationship rather than resisting, restricting, hating, no one's going to love you more than you love yourself. There's two quotes that I often say. The first one is perks of being a wallflower. We accept the love we think we deserve. And I'm not coming from a place where the rest of your relationships look like I'm coming from a place of how do I love myself? You know, what does that look like? And the second quote is, I changed it a little bit because it has the word illness and I use the word disordered eating. If this disordered eating right now feels like a cage, please try to hear me. The door is unlocked and you are free to go. 
And the reason people stay in the cage is because it's comfortable. And we operate from a place of making decisions based on fear or trust. And so we don't trust what the outside of the cage looks like. We have to create and imagine. We have to dream and build. And that's going to require love. Tell us about our rational versus irrational brains. Because I feel like people don't always realize that you can switch from one side to the other. And then they're in their irrational brain and wondering why it's not thinking logically. <laughs> yeah. Well, irrational brain is a temper tantrum, right? So we have them as kids, we have them as adults, and we probably don't even see it. But what it really looks like is, and the way that I would use it is with food, right? So I would say almost 100% of people, all right, maybe 98% of people wake up in the morning and think food is fuel. Food is fuel. They know it. They believe it. And then they become emotionally triggered in some way. Again, back to we can't predict the storm, right? It could be a phone call. It could be you just got a, your report card. It could be a deadline. It could be you were up all night with a crying baby. It could be a sick baby. We can't predict the storm, right? And so anything could trigger us based on these first emotional triggers that we develop in the first six years of our life, plus any time we go through something traumatic in our life. For me, 9-11, COVID, every single person alive is emotionally triggered by it. It could be they wanted to leave their house. They didn't want to leave their house. Everybody has a different story playing out. Anytime you go through something traumatizing, we develop new triggers, and then we work to master them in our life. And so we the triggers are the actual storm. And so what happens is we kind of flip our lid and our mind leaves our body and goes to that trauma bond that you have. And we have to practice bringing it back. So an irrational mind knows that food is fuel. An irrational mind thinks food is the enemy or food is fun or food is comfort or food is my friend. Again, anytime we think food is anything other than fuel, it means we are not okay means we need to bring our mind back to our body. And that's the work, right? So our job is to put space between the thought to eat and the action to eat. We want to work on that space. So we want to be able to go from irrational to rational. We want to find our mind. And a couple ways to do it are grounding things, right? Taking deep breaths, humming, meditating, smelling beautiful scents like aromatherapy. Lots of ways to ground ourselves so our mind can be in our body so we can scan because once we know what our body's feeling, then we can move forward. We have to accept the moment we're in before we can. I see a trend online these days around giving people permission to eat what they want. And I'm going to clarify that because, of course, that sounds obvious. But you say that food is fuel. Mm -hmm. And the same way, the dessert you get at that nice dinner isn't necessarily fueling your body. Yeah. But it's not that we necessarily need to avoid it the whole yeah. time. Like there is that room for indulgence. So where is the room? How Love do you it. know? Love it. Yeah. So the title of my book is called This Is What You're Really Hungry For. And I'm just curious what you think the answer is. I have a wild relationship with food. I have gone through all sorts of So you think it's food? Trends. 
<laughs> well, did you ask what my relationship with where it comes from? I said, what do you think the, the title, what do you think the oh. answer is? This mm. is what you're really hungry for. Got you. <laughs> yes. I, I know that often we meet our emotional needs with shopping, food, all the things. So usually for me, it's an emotional thing. Yeah. So I would say the answer, in my opinion, my professional opinion is peace. Peace mm. around wellness, peace around food. Just imagine if we didn't have to run to the doctors or be worried about things. Peace. We're looking for peace. And so if we're working on a sustainable long-term relationship with food, what we're actually looking for is normal. And so if the answer is normal, and we're using these six rules that I use to develop a value system around self-love and taking care of my body with food, then we're actually creating that peace. We don't want to work in a place where we're perfect. We want to be progressive always. I don't want to have to know, you know, yesterday I might've had five cups of water. I know I need eight. And I want to be intentional about it. I know how much better I feel when I do eight. And so if I recognize that I did five, I'm not beating myself up or persecuting. I'm not ashamed of this. I'm more intentional today to make sure, you know, and here I am halfway through the first four today. I put it on my desk at 7.15. So I'm setting myself up for success. It's not the end of the world if it doesn't happen. So normal eating looks like birthday cake on Tuesday. It doesn't mean I need cake on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It means I have a normal relationship with food. I eat primarily when I'm hungry. And the thing about our body is that it thrives in consistency. So if we have cake on Tuesday and we weren't hungry for it, and we go right back to listening to the needs of our body on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it's like the cake never happened. The problem is when we have cake on Tuesday, and just like you said when you were a kid, I already did it. I might as well keep going. That's when we start seeing weight problems. So again, normal just means not using words like treats, indulgence, rewards, but seeing food as food. So the first rule is to eat when you're hungry. The second rule is to eat what you love, but there is a comma and it says, make sure the food loves you back. We are looking for sustainable health. If you're getting headaches, tearing eyes, diarrhea, bloating, nausea, gas, joint pain, guess what? That food doesn't love you back. Why are you eating it? So then we go back to this relationship. Do you stay in a relationship with someone who hurts you? Would you continually go to a restaurant that's poisoning you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Let's talk about the way you love yourself. You have choices when we're talking about ice cream. You don't have to have the one made from eggs and milk. Come on, right? We can love ourselves a little differently. What about if you try eating it when you're hungry? What if you have that as your breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Oh, you don't want it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? That's interesting. I wonder if you're in a sugar spiral. I wonder if you're eating it because you're addicted or craving it and has nothing to do with hunger. Let's deal with that, right? There's always a place for it, but it's not an everyday thing, is it? Maybe. I don't know. We have to talk about it, right? 
So did that like clarify or make sense a little bit or what are your thoughts? Yeah, that makes 100% sense to me. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm often fairly triggered by posts because people are like, no, it's fine to have the Pop-Tarts. And I'm like, why not just get a healthier version of that? Like you're, you're craving the sweetness. It's to me, I am. There's this whole like trend on like, don't call any food unhealthy. And I'm like, I'm looking at the ingredients and I don't even see anything that look like food. I can't call it healthy. And so I'm always like kind of yeah. arguing so with these I like don't, body positive with you, but it doesn't work. And so I agree with don't call anything unhealthy because mm-hmm. blueberries give me diarrhea. And according to <laughs> a lot of people's lists, they're healthy. And so when we use the word healthy, it's completely individualized and we have to be very careful. I mean, I eat Cheerios a lot. Oats do not bother me. I have lots of clients who can't eat oats, who are affected by the oats, right? I can't call something healthy, but I can call it food. And you need to know what your body is experiencing and how your body is feeling so you can then take better care of your own body. So I understand what you mean, how you're being triggered by that. And I can appreciate that. And I would probably unfollow them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I do. And also one of them's a close friend of mine. And so I'm just like, ah, I can't oh. unfollow you. Like, yeah. move on. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I guess for me, I totally understand because I don't, it's not like everything I eat is like just a fruit or just like organic meat. Although most things are, like I said, I am probably you know. the most extreme of my, of the people I know on, on how I've curated the food because I know what makes me feel good. That's it. 
And for me, the highly processed is where I'm like, even that we don't call unhealthy. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't call it unhealthy. And so you've had a long you know, journey where you've actually paid attention to your body and you've made adjustments so you can feel good. This is news to some people. You know, mm -hmm. they're so stuck in diet culture and threatened, like you're saying, by all of these different posts. I mean, people are having celery juice because their neighbor did, and they're not understanding why they're having diarrhea. <laughs> so you have to start all by yourself, figuring out what do I love? I mean, I have a client who has been restricted her whole life and she's in her sixties and she wanted to lose weight and she yo-yo diets. So she started off eating pastries for three weeks in a row. That's how she started. It wasn't what I recommended. That's how she took my message. Eat what you love. Make sure the food loves you back. She lost 10 pounds in those three weeks, which is appropriate weight loss for somebody who is following all six of my rules. And then she decided she didn't want pastries anymore. That is growth. That's growth. If I said pastries are bad, pastries are unhealthy, she would be thinking about pastries for the rest of her life. But now she knows she can have them. We didn't talk about the fat content, the trans fat. We didn't talk about the starches. We didn't talk about these things. We talked about eating when you're hungry, cutting it in half, trusting you can have more, seeing how you feel. And she did. And that's what she ate. And now she doesn't. That's growth. That's what you want, right? That's what I want for people. I want somebody to find something that is sustainable. If we label food as good, bad, I should, I shouldn't, it's healthy, it's unhealthy, then we are staying in this feudal cycle. If, I mean, to me, dessert is very interesting, like Thanksgiving, which is, you know, people seem to eat like they've never eaten before. And then they go for pumpkin pie or whatever it is. What if they waited two hours, they went for a walk, they played some games and, you know, it would be so much better for their systems, right? That's, that's, a, that's an idea. But the reality is you just ate, how are you hungry for pumpkin pie? Where is that going in your physical body? Do you pay attention to what your body needs? If you have a gas tank, do you try and overfill it? Do you trust you can get more gas, right? And so we have to change our mentality. I really like the pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. I prefer that over the turkey. So guess what? I'm making that choice. It's a Thursday night. It's not what I'm going to do on Friday. It's not a big deal. This is what I'm going to do, right? Maybe, maybe it's not. I don't really need to worry about it because I'm not in that moment. I also don't know how hungry I am, but I also know that I can have that same meal on Friday, on Saturday, in May, anytime I want. So I don't need to become bombarded with it. But what's interesting is because you change it from food and then you sensationalize this idea that it's dessert, it's taken on a life of its own. But if you call it food, I always like to think of everything as a banana. And like the first thing you do if someone hands you a banana is you think, am I hungry? If not, you just put the banana on hold, trusting it'll be there. If we start thinking of food as a banana, you're always going to ask yourself, am I hungry for the pumpkin pie? Am I hungry for this turkey? Yeah, that's really helpful for me. And anything I share is not to argue, just to 
highlight ways of thinking because I know that I, for me to have overcome my eating disorder, it was helpful for me to be dogmatic. Like I went through a vegan phase and then I realized that wasn't working for me, which was a very intense mindset shift. And now I eat, I kind of follow sort of pro-metabolic, but I don't like to be in the confines of anything. Good. Don't be. And fine eating things that people would consider a dessert or whatever. Like I don't limit myself from those. For me, I source the quality of ingredients and I want to be able to have simple ingredients. And so that's very important to me and my family. And so I know a lot of people kind of live in those confines or the actual opposites. And so it's difficult for me. What or was really helpful for me in actually overcoming my eating disorder is realizing which foods are meant to be addictive and which foods are not. And so it's difficult for me to sometimes understand when it's like the nothing's unhealthy, nothing's off limits. So I'm like, but like if you were trying to stop doing crack, would you be like, well, I'm just going to have a little crack. <laughs> so I mean, that's I kind do of agree I with you 100%. And we do know that sugar is crack, but sugar is everywhere. And having a normal relationship is being able to have sugar. So when you think about the ingredients, like I want my clients to be able to eat in Los Angeles, in Italy, in North Carolina, and in Mexico, and not think this is going to screw up everything. We are normal eaters, which means you eat wherever you are when you're hungry and you do not worry about it. And you go right back to who you are when you're home, but it stays the same. This is normal eating, right? Definitely my clients who have, who are eating sugar or eating after dinner, let's say, and they're needing something sweet. We talk about experimenting with completely cutting it out. Again, I use the word experimenting because it cannot be permanent. You cannot possibly tell me that if I went to New Orleans, I'm not having a beignet or I'm not going to try king cake during Mardi Gras. These are things that I would, I'm interested in, right? If I'm going wherever, I might want the sorbet that they're known for. I don't know how I'm going to feel. So experimenting with taking it out only so you can feel what crack does to your body makes it really easy for you next time you eat it to recognize that you're instantly in a withdrawal spiral and you can find your mind and say, this is because I had king cake yesterday. I don't actually need it right now. I'm not actually hungry, but it'll be there when I want it. We have to train the beast, right? We have to tame this mind to say, be here now, focus on what your actual needs are so we can be normal. I have a friend who really struggles with sugar addiction. And so she's always talking about it, then restricting, then binging, and then has read things about like giving up sugar altogether and and tried that for 30 days, felt amazing, but realized it wasn't sustainable. And so for me, for some reason, yes, sugar can be crack, but maybe it's just that I've developed that relationship with food enough that I do, as you say, you know, where I'm like, okay, today, yes, we have chocolate croissants and they're amazing, but yeah. I'm not going to have that every single day. Yeah. And then there are people that, because how we talked about earlier, 90s diet, whatever it is, it's the fat-free, it's almost everything. Whereas the food that seems like it should be fuel is also so full of GMOs that it is also addictive. And so do you have 
a way to develop realization around that? Is, what's the process for something like that? Yeah. So slow and steady. <laughs> because people are deeply triggered. And again, restriction of any kind does not work because then we're using willpower. And the truth is what you've actually developed is inner power. And it's beautiful. Binge eating disorder and bulimia, if you, and shopping addict, food, you know, all these things, when we think about it, it's, I need more. I don't have enough. There isn't enough to fill me is this idea, right? When you have inner power, you come to a place of, I have everything I need inside of me to survive the moment I'm in. And if you are restricting, you're coming from a place of, I can do this for 30 days. And you are totally setting yourself up for a binge on day 31. That makes a lot of sense. I've I've had to do that with types of food, with alcohol, with party drugs, with all of the things. And so to me, it's, it's, more about the process and that inner feeling. So you're right. And also I have in able to do that and able to develop that inner power. One of the steps was really learning how to identify my triggers so that I wasn't lost in a disempowered spiral and then being like, where, where did all the work go? Yeah. And so how do you recommend that people begin to get in touch with what those triggers are so they can develop more awareness around them? Well, Therapy is great. Meditation is amazing. Long walks are awesome. Recognizing, maybe even journaling where you kind of, your mind left your body. What was the instant that it happened, right? We are deeply connected to all the parts of our life. And so it is like almost like a ribbon that has been weaved into our soul And so here, it could have been your coworker who totally triggered you, but the reality is that came from your youth. And so it doesn't actually necessarily matter so much. It's just how you're going to respond. You're going to master this, right? You're going to say, I accept that this is how I feel and I can't change anybody who made me feel this way. But I can now choose to respond in a way that is healthier for my body. I love meditation practices. I love energy practices. I love yoga. I love being connected to my body and really working on somatic energy and releasing and letting go of things and coming from a place of real compassion, of even apologizing to myself. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting. And I wrote this in my book, my mom said to me, and I have a very loving family, which most, you know, a lot of people do, but we're still triggered in a very loving family. I had a 25 minute drive to an hour drive every Wednesday from Calabasas to Westwood to go to UCLA hospital. And I was 12 and I was about to see four gynecologists. And my mom said to me, don't cry. We'll go shopping. And it's a moment where when I reflect on it, I know she tried her best to be as supportive and loving, but what did I probably need in that moment was it's okay to cry. It's okay to be scared shitless (laughs) and we're going to go through this and it will all be okay. You know, we're going to have some, of some tough experiences. And so really recognizing, well, that made me almost have to be superhuman, right? I'd have to not cry in hard times. 
And so these threads that are kind of weaved through our life, they're important to recognize. But I also know with such gratitude that I'm I'm so happy that I get to be here now and I get to help so many people. And it was that experience that helped me be here. That is such an easy slip as a mom. (laughs) I, I was realizing I had to correct my own behavior. I had a new baby and it was just overwhelming trying to figure out how to deal with a toddler and a new baby. We're also in the middle of moving. And we're usually very intentional about screen time. But there was a period of about a month where we just had to use it kind of a lot. And we're like, all right, we're just going to do really good when we get into our new place. <laughs> and there was a couple meltdowns where it's just like, okay, I, I can't do this. Let's turn on. He likes to watch if you give a mouse a cookie on Amazon Prime. He calls yeah. it Mouse and Moosey. And then yeah. I realized like the next week... Every time he'd cry, he'd be like, I need Mouse and Moosey. And I'm like, oh, no, here's where it starts. We immediately need a a more intentional coping behavior because I don't want him to be like, I can't handle this. Let me immediately zone out. (laughs) It's just like, oh, these are the things we talk about as parents. And I thought I would never do it. And I'm already realizing there's a pattern that's been created. I mean, the thing is, is like I said, I had a very loving family. And I love my family. You know, I have three daughters. There's no way that they're unaffected by me. There's no way I'm not triggering them in something. You know, (laughs) this is where we develop them. I'm doing the best that I can. (laughs) I really am trying. (laughs) I interviewed a woman once that claimed that she was like her life is just she just sees auras the whole time and she had her kid and she said something and just saw his aura drain and turn into a different color she's like even me (laughs) it's like and just seeing the immediateness and I'm like oh my goodness yeah so that's like vibrational that's magic that's us we are magic yes and so once we realize that our minds flip into threat mode we have this opportunity to start training our minds. And and really the goal is to make our mind and body unaffected by the threat mode. And so would that first step be what you said where you immediately locate your mind? Yeah, it would be. Well, I think you would recognize that your mind is not in your body. So yes, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you can use that. Where's my body? Where is my mind? Or you can do what time zone is my body in? What time zone is my mind in? (laughs) And whatever you do, you bring it back. And like, I really always refer to Karate Kid here. Like Mr. Miyagi, you know, had the Karate Kid constantly waxing on and waxing off. And the kid was like, how much longer am I doing this? And he's like, you're not done yet. Keep going. And that was a practice that he didn't know until the neighborhood kid tried to attack him and he waxed on, waxed off. And he automatically had the skills to fight back. And so the practice is all day long finding your mind. It is probably the single most important thing because our mind, which is doing its own thing, like I said, is also wanting to be 47% of your day sleepwalking. And so in order for us to have real change, we have to be intentional. When I was attempting to heal from my eating disorder, I did a lot of things for a long time. And I would have periods of maybe a month, maybe a week, maybe three months. And then I would kind of have a a new spiral. And sometimes it would last just one day. Sometimes it would be like another month of all of my patterns back again. 
And I started to notice that the changes became longer, more sustainable or longer periods of time when there was more balance in my life. When I started yoga teacher training, that was a big step. I think the final one was actually when I found love. Like I felt this instilled sense of worth that I hadn't really fully felt really probably my whole life. And so I know that you talk about there being seven areas that impact the balance of our lives. What are those areas and how do we make sure that none of them are lacking? Yeah. So there are things like adventure and what's going on with your body, like sleep, exercise, and water, education, friendships. You know, what are your relationships like? What's your career doing? They're really important to kind of have a check-in point on a regular basis to kind of see where you're connected to. And again, without judgment, right? Coming to this place of, okay, I haven't really gone on a vacation or a trip, or I don't have anything on my social calendar would be kind of like the first step to moving forward in adventure. And, you know, when you talk about disordered eating and binge eating, we talked about, you know, stereotypically a person needs and wants more. And then you said kind of when you got filled, when you found love, when you started yoga training, like these are opportunities, these, I call it basically the wellness wheel and looking at the wellness wheel and understanding like, here's an opportunity for me to fill up, to create this balance every day, to do the best that you can check in with your friends. Are you fighting with friends? Are you not sleeping well? You know, if I'm not sleeping well, it's on my mind all day. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I mean, what kind of vibration is that? And so if you haven't gone on vacation or you're worried about money, then your mind is constantly on this loop. And so bringing your mind to, okay, I'm here now. I'm safe because your mind needs to know you're safe. And here is my plan for money. Here is my plan for adventure. What happens then we start moving forward and things. We just have to recognize where we are having any gaps. That's a good point because with a lot of them, it's like, okay, well, what's lacking here and how can I fix it? And so it's like, oh, I'm tired, get some sleep. But then with things like money, it's not always something that we feel is in our our total control. And so developing that plan kind of reminds me of how I handle my overwhelm or I don't do overwhelm. I'm whelmed. (laughs) But (laughs) but when I'm whelmed, it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. And what I've realized that always helps me is like, okay, well then sit down with my to-do list, write them down and like schedule them in. If I know that this is going to be done Thursday morning, then I'm not so stressed about it today, even though it's all the same things. And so that's how you teach about really accepting the moment that you're currently in. Yeah. Right. Like sleep, there can be so many sleep issues. We have problems falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up unrested, and just even reminding our subconscious sleep is for rest. I have a list of the things I need to do and I'll check back in with them tomorrow. I don't need to think about them tonight, right? Having just this regular conversation with ourselves that now I'm driving, I'm going to put my driving mind on. I'm not going to space out here, right? Sleep. I'm going to put my sleeping mind on. We need to just have time for all of it. You mentioned that you have rules for managing your relationship with food. Yes. 
Let's touch on those now. So I use the word rules because I think about it like kindergarten. And I know that it's a very triggering word. So I'm sorry if anyone is affected by this word, but it's almost good to understand that this is a trigger. So you can then recognize that this is like more like a set of values. Like, would any of us leave the house without brushing our teeth? We probably didn't like that rule, (laughs) but we've come to like really understand and appreciate it. So kindergarten is kind of a place where we learn how to play on the playground. And we can't possibly build a house on a foundation that is not solid. And these six rules create that solid foundation. They're non-negotiables. I often think of a moral compass. And, you know, just to like for fun, if I said to you, oh my God, I have the best idea, you would light up, you'd get excited. You'd be like, what is it, Kim? And then I would say, let's go rob a bank. And then you would laugh at me and say, wait, that's a terrible idea. That totally would I'd ruin say, my which life. bank? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But people's diet compass is kind of broken and yet they're still paying attention to it. And so these rules, which then become your value system, are to replace your broken diet compass. So you don't think robbing a bank is a good idea right after you ate or right be, you know, or in any way, you don't think robbing a bank is a bad idea. And so they are simply in a way to honor your body and pretty much eradicate most diseases. So we're going to go with that. They're all based on science and The first one is you eat when you're hungry. So this tells me that your body is ready for fuel. Everything is in its place. You're not stressed. You're not anxious. You're here now. Your body needs fuel. You start with half of your normal portion. So you're not using the portion that the chef prepared or the label on the box. You're paying attention to, do I need an apple or a turkey burger right now? You're cutting it in half. You're eating it slowly. You're chewing your food, which is how we break it down so we can absorb and digest it. And then you're coming back in 15 minutes and checking in to see if you need more or you don't need any more food because that's when leptin, the hormone that tells our mind we're satisfied, doesn't kick in for 15 minutes. So we could eat all of our food in three minutes and be over full on minute 16, or we could eat half of our food and in minute 16 recognize that was actually enough food because I'm going to eat again in two or three hours. Our entire body thrives when our blood sugar is regulated. And we do that by eating every three hours. So the second rule is to eat what you love and to make sure the food loves you back. The third rule is to eat without distractions. This is cravings. This is emotions. This is TV. This is your iPad. This is focusing on why am I thinking food is a good idea and let it just be hunger. Rule number four is 10,000 steps every day, which the average American gets 3,000. We really need to bump that up for so many reasons. Rule number five is eight cups of water. This is the way that we filter everything. And it's kind of like the secret sauce for keeping us really well. And the last rule is seven hours of sleep. The average American is getting about six, six and a half hours of sleep and they're obese. And so What we know when you're not sleeping is that it's such a stressful state your body is in that it wreaks havoc on your hormones and causes weight gain. So those are the rules that really become non-negotiables. And when we look at your pattern of healing, it wasn't perfect. And if you had to be perfect, you would have given up. But if it was something where you can be progressive and you can say, gosh, this one lasted one week, this one lasted three months, that's like 
you should champion that so much because we have a very long life ahead of us and we need to be active and we can't give up on ourselves just because something's not perfect. Looking back on my evolution with food, even though veganism didn't end up being right for me, I ended up experiencing joint issues and brain fog and fatigue. And I really had a hard time admitting it was my diet because of this reason. But this reason was also the thing that helped me so much was the identity factor of it. Like, my mom said at one point, she's like, you have more willpower than anyone I know. And I was sitting with that for a while. And I was like, I don't have any more willpower than the average person. It's that I've learned how to identify with the changes that I want to make and become the type of person who does something. Yeah, and veganism amazing. had so many things wrapped around that, like, oh, the animal rights, the whatever it was. And, yeah. and so when I was moving beyond that, I had to like brainwash myself. I had to go read all about you know, the animals that are killed in the vegan diet and the, like all these other things. And I'm like, okay, now I can feel just as good for regenerative farming, what this is doing to my body, how I'm absorbing yeah. it. And so that's my process. But I think what I found in, in talking to other people who have made big life changes, that identity part, like I'm the type of person and it doesn't need to be who eats this or who eats that. It's just who takes care of my body, who listens to my body, adding that in reduces the need for so much willpower when you're making yeah. the changes. Yeah. You had conviction. Yeah. It's important. Well, thank you so much for all of the research that you've put into this book. Uh, it's so helpful because I know that food is just, it's like so many people's first major addiction, whatever it is, like yeah. just the relationship with it, whatever that manifests for the individual's minds and bodies. And so for listeners who are interested in learning more about working with you and your book, where's the best place for them to connect? Probably on Instagram. You can find me at Kim Shapiro Method. I'm on Pinterest, LinkedIn, TikTok, my website, everything is Kim Shapiro Method. And I have a masterclass available if you're not interested in private sessions, or I have groups if people really do want to meet and get support weekly. And of course, my book, This Is What You're Really Hungry For. This was such a fun conversation. And I feel like you're such like a champion and a role model. And thank you. All the links for this episode are at mindlove.com slash 337. Your challenge for this week is to reflect on your food values because we don't use the word rules. <laughs> there are so many messages around what we should and shouldn't we be doing around food, whether it's not labeling foods as good or bad, not having rules around food. And that's because for some people that's very true. For others, it's not. So just because one person suggests something doesn't mean it works for absolutely everyone. This is why it's important to tune in with yourself, have grace when something doesn't work, just tell yourself you're going to find something that does. Based on your experiences, your beliefs, the way your mind works, different things are going to resonate. For me, I like having rules. <laughs> I like labeling food. It works for me and I get it's offensive to other people. So I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. So instead of the word rules, values seems to be pretty widely accepted. What do you value? 
For me, I like food that makes me feel good. I still eat the indulgences, but I try to buy the high quality versions. I also recognize that I have the privilege of doing that. So decide what works for you. What are you working on? What would you find helpful? And what did we discuss today that you wanna take with you? And what do you wanna leave? That's how this whole game of self-development works. If we spend more energy pointing fingers and saying, that doesn't resonate with me, or that's offensive, we're actually just giving our power away. And we're focusing more on the problem, which is a form of resistance to actually evolving and healing. So figure out what works for you and determine your food values. Are there any rules, guidelines that you can stick to that does enhance your relationship with food? For me, quality of food is very important. Also, I'm very mindful of food combinations when I'm eating. And if you want to find all of my amazing sponsors, head to mindlove.com sponsors. Also, Soul Strength launched this week. It's so exciting. We have an amazing group of people that are all moving towards their big vision. So if you miss the boat and you are interested, reach out to me. We can get you on the wait list. We can see what we can do. But you want to be one of the first on there because there are always limited spots. And this one sold out completely. And finally, if this episode was helpful, please consider sharing it. Just tap that little share button, send it directly to a friend, or take a screenshot and tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. <laughs>